0: So when you were in school or some of you are currently in school, do you remember having to do group projects? (laughs) <laughs> the faces are like Ugh. Right? yeah nobody really likes to do group projects right I, I remember for me it was it was so frustrating because from my perspective, I was working harder than other individuals, and trying to coordinate with them was hard, and it takes more work and it takes more of my time and not only that but but it's it's um it's like we're all linked together where we have all of our grades put together, right? And so if they slack off, I get penalized for that. But that has nothing to do with me. So you complain to your teachers and what do your teachers say? All of my teachers anyway said the same thing. This is to teach you how to live in the real world where you have to work with other people. I was like, oh, right? And I mean, I was a kid then so I didn't have a good airtight answer for that. But now if I could go back in time if I was a kid and you kids who are still in school, maybe you might want to use this. My answer right now would be like, yeah, but in the real world, we have HR departments that I can complain to, <laughs> right? There's no HR department here. <laughs> they're not doing their work. <laughs> like I can't, don't connect my salary, and our salaries aren't connected, right? At least I hope they're not, right? And if they are, the HR department comes into the rescue. Um, they don't have any of that. It, it was so frustrating. Uh, to deal with that. And, and even if you're on the other side of things and you're like, I'm not going to do any work here. I'm going to let the rest of the group do the work, right? It's frustrating for you too because all these people are over here going like, come on, come on, come on, yelling at you. It's like, I didn't ask to be in this group or to do this project. So it's not fair that you're, you're saying all these things to me. Group projects in school, uh, not a fan. I, they do teach you valuable lessons, you know? okay. But nobody likes them. When we come to faith in Christ, When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we believe that He died for our sins and rose again. It's amazing what happens, isn't it? First of all, when we accept Jesus, as Chelsea mentioned, God the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. He is with us at all times. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within us. That's incredible. Our sins are forgiven. When God looks at you, He no longer sees your flaws. He no longer sees your fault. The righteousness of Christ is upon you. Your sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more. Praise God. Even if everyone else remembers your sins, God doesn't hold them against you anymore. Praise God. He adopts you into His family. Ah, that's so good. He calls you His son, His daughter. And then you have brothers and sisters in the church. That are part of the family. And that's a good thing, except when you realize that when you are saved in Christ, He also calls you you to participate in a group project. He does. He does. He wants you to be part of his group project. And that is frustrating, right? You have to work with other believers to to fulfill God's will. Can I just do this on my own? Can it just be me and God? right? can it just be me and him and whatever he wants to do in my life and whatever will he wants? can it just be me and him? Because, because let's be honest, it's difficult working with other people at times. It's hard. By the way, I read a quote Charles Spurgeon was saying, a baby crying in church is there to remind the pastor that he is not in control. <laughs> and I'm not. The Lord God is also this baby. <laughs> But the reality is, is that it is so hard, it is so difficult at times to work with other people. Why does God do that? And there are times where God intentionally, I think, throws us into situations where you can't do it on your own. You need to ask a neighbor for help. You need to ask a friend for help. You need to go to your family asking for help. You just can't do it on your own. Why does God put us in situations where we have to work with other believers? Why can't it just be me and God? Why does God force us into situations where we have to work with other believers? Why can't it just be me and God? Well, we're continuing our journey through Exodus. The Israelites are traveling through the wilderness after God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. We pick up the story in Exodus chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 17 starting in verse 8. At Reph Ref- Oh man, Rephidim. I I practiced it, but here we are. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us to go and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. So Amalek comes and is attacking this wandering group of people. I mean, it's a large group, but they say, hey, this is, this is an opportunistic time. They have lots of stuff because they got gold and everything from Egypt as they left. And they think they don't have weapons. You know, there's a lot of them, but they're, they're not well organized. We can attack them. And by the way, um, Amalek is one of the descendants of Esau. So this is kind of like, you know, third or fourth cousins, you know, twice removed, however that works. And they know that. And they say, well, let's attack them so we can get their plunder. Moses says to Joshua, uh, one of his commanders, you're going to go, you're going to take our forces, you're going to fight against them. I will go on the hilltop with the staff of God. right? And You guys remember the staff of God, Moses, when he was a shepherd, went up and God revealed himself to Moses and this became the staff of God, what Moses was carrying. Sometimes Moses uses it, sometimes Aaron uses it, but whenever it gets used, something amazing happens. Now what's interesting here is God doesn't promise Moses anything, does he? Like Moses just says, I'm going to take the staff of God, I'm going to go up on top of the mountaintop, and then we're going to see what happens while you fight. He's presuming God is going to show up and help his people. God didn't say, go to the mountaintop and I will help your people. He's presuming that God will help. And this isn't a bad presumption. When we are doing the will of God, we should always presume He is going to show up. When we need someone to advocate for our children, we need to presume that God will show up and we need to presume that in prayer. When we as a church are doing outreach, we need to presume that God is going to show up and He's going to provide for His church. Right? When we are trying to pray, when we are inviting people to church, when we're sharing the gospel, we have to presume God is going to show up and help His people. Good example of that, we had the meal distribution this last week and uh, in two weeks or two months ago, the meal distribution was a basket of laundry supplies, if you guys recall. And the uh, crafty ladies put, that's what Tuesday night is officially called from now on. Uh, the crafty ladies made these hand-knit uh, dishcloths, right? Like you've all seen them before, right? Put them in there. Well, I, I was told I wasn't there. Uh, I didn't receive this, this information. But one of the women came up this week who had received a basket And said that she got, went through the basket and she found those dishcloths and started crying because they were just like the ones her mom used to make. And she received it on her mom's birthday. If you want, like, we can't orchestrate that. We're not that, we don't know when your mom's birthday is. We didn't know your mom, like, we have to presume God is going to show up. And that's what Moses does. But then, uh, the, the whole series is really weird. Read with me, verse 10. says, "...Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy..." They took a stone and put it under him and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Right. So the image is is this. the, The army is down there. They're fighting. Moses has the staff of God. He doesn't know what to do. Like he remembers he, he used the staff and he demanded that the Red Sea parted and, and in the power of the Lord, the Red Sea parted. He remembers that. So he said, well, maybe this will work again. right?" So he, he lifts up the staff and he holds it up. And as he's holding it up, Israel has the, arm, has, has the victory. Wow, okay. So if you remember the Red Sea story, he didn't have to like run through the Red Sea holding his staff up like this, right? And then as it goes down, like the, the whoa, whoa, you know? He didn't do that. He's holding his, his staff up and they have the victory. Wow, okay. God is here. And all of Israel sees it. They cry out, yes! Okay, that's it. And he puts it down. Because it's hard to hold things up. And as he puts it down, the Amalekites come and they start just destroying Israel. What's happening? What's happening? God, what's happening? And then just like that, Israel starts attacking Amalekite and they start winning the victory. Oh, yeah. But then he gets tired. He puts his arms down. And once again, Amalek starts attacking. He sees his neighbors, his friends, die. So he resolves, I have to keep it up. I don't know why I have to keep it up. I'm keeping it up. And as he's, he's keeping this up, he, 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 he resolves, I will never drop my hands again. And yet, the burning sensation Finally forces him to drop it until Joshua and her see what's going on, and they hold his hands up, the whole battle so that they can win, so that they can survive and live another day. That's weird, isn't it? Like isn't that weird? Why? Why, why, why did he have to? Tan- tangential note, but let me mention it anyways. Um, do you know who the buffest people in Hollywood are? They're puppeteers. No one's laughing. Wow. You're all like, yeah, they are, man. You ever see that guy who does Elmo? He's jacked, right? (laughs) He is. It's crazy. Okay, so you remember a few years ago, we did story time with Miss Chelsea. All of the episodes are still available on YouTube and Facebook. And um, yes, I'm revealing now for the first time, I was all the puppets. (laughs) There was some question, who's doing all those puppets? It was me. And you know what? You're like, this puppet weighs like two pounds. It's no big deal. Right? It's not that big of a deal to hold the puppets up. I don't think he can do it. You're pretty weak. Oh, come on. That's not fair to say. You shouldn't say mean things like that. Well, it's true. I didn't say it wasn't true. It's just just not nice to say it out loud in front of all these people. He also smells. Well, that's true too. (sighs) Right? So I'm holding it up here like this for, for a while and you're like, okay, it's fine. But you know, after you're doing it for five minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you're trying to do all these voices and key, all of a sudden, your arms are like, they give out. And this doesn't weigh anything. I mean, these are like a pound each. And all of a sudden, your arms start burning. And it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm not gonna put them down. We're filming, this is good. Chelsea's not laughing. She laughed a lot. Like she would like, I don't know why. Uh, (laughs) By the way, this is also tangential. At one point, while we were doing all this with all the characters, Chelsea asked if I had multiple personality disorder. <laughs> I wouldn't put it beyond you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended you would even ask that question. I think it was my exact words, and the answer is no. Um, <laughs> but Moses, like it's not puppets, right? At stake, he's got to hold his arms up. They have the victory. Wow. So you expect the next time Moses talks to God, what's Moses going to ask God? <clears throat> well, why? Why did I have to keep my arms up? Like, I don't under Like, you can do whatever you want. You're God. Why? why? I don't get it. Does God say that? Does God give an answer? No. Verse 14, The Lord then said to Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. So what God saw was so awful, uh, where the Amalekites decided to take advantage of Israel that God said, Yeah, they're, they're not gonna be a nation forever and ever anymore. Um, they're 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 done. And this gets fulfilled in 1 Samuel, but the rest of the story. Why does God do this? Why did God force Moses to rely on Aaron and her? Why? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Why did he, why does God force us believers? To rely on other believers. Why does he do that? can it just be me and God? can it just be me and him taking over the world? Right? Moses didn't need anyone's help when he did the staff at the Red Sea. He didn't. can it just be me and God? Why did he force him to rely on Aaron and her? Why does he force us to rely on other believers? For things to get so bad in our family that we have to go outside of the family to ask for help. For us to have such a difficult time that that we have to ask one of our brothers or sisters for a car ride. Why does he do that? Well, he doesn't give us the answer right away. We have an aside. It's a reunion. If uh, you recall, there was some point where Moses' wife and two children uh, depart from him. We don't. We're, it's not told explicitly in Scripture. I think it happened before he, as he was going back to Egypt to set his people free. I think it happened uh, at that point before they reached Egypt. The two of them went back to live with his father-in-law, uh, with Zipporah's father Jethro. I think that's what happened. And now we see them come back after all this time after everything that's happened verse uh, chapter 18 verse 1 moses father-in-law jethro the priest of midian heard about everything that god had done for moses and for god's people israel when the lord brought israel out of egypt now jethro moses's father-in-law had taken in zipporah moses's wife after he'd sent her back along with her two sons one of whom was named gershom because moses had said i've been a resident alien alien in a foreign land And the other, Eliezer, because he said the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped at the mountain of God. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and then kissed him. They asked each other how they had been and went into the tent Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardships and that confronted them along the way and how the Lord rescued them. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed who rescued you from the power of Egypt and from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. Okay, so this is like a homecoming. We don't know exactly how much tension there was with Moses and his wife and his boys, but I mean, this is a homecoming. I know when I, back before COVID and I'd go to Vietnam, uh, I was only gone for two weeks, but man, coming back to see my wife and kids was just, ah, like, I'm flying away was heartbreaking, right? It's like, man, I finally get a little bit of rest, and then it was like, I miss my kids, like two minutes into the air. <laughs> uh, it's, it's difficult. But that homecoming is so wonderful. He has this homecoming. There's probably going to be a little bit of tension, because if you remember, uh, Moses wasn't entirely forthcoming with Jethro. Uh, when, he was le- when God told him, go set your people free uh, in my power, <laughs> Moses says, um, I need to go back and see if I have any family members that are still alive in Egypt. Right? There was like, a little bit of tension little bit of tension. Jethro, it seemed like he had some understanding of the one true God, but now he says, I know that this is the one true God, and makes sacrifices to him. I love this character. Jethro's great. So then, verse 13, Moses has his father-in-law living with him. No tension at all whatsoever, right? Like those of you with in-laws, it's all good. Uh, The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people. And they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me and inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make a decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. What you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. So, so Moses, right? There's, there's, there's like tens of thousands of people. When anyone has a dispute or problem or a marital problem or anything, right? Moses starts off his day at like 6 a.m. He's sitting down and then people come in and they tell him his problems and then he kind of adjudicates what's going on and tells them what God's will is and then it's you know 9 p.m. and he gets to go to bed and he gets to wake up and do it all again the next day and at that point he's whenever they have a traveling day he's like thank goodness cuz i can't possibly do this do you know how exhausting that is he's doing this for like like pastors they talk about them being burnt out you know because people come whatever i don't know that doesn't make any like that's nothing compared to tens of thousands of people that are coming with all of their issues, right? Like tens of thousands, this poor guy. And his father-in-law looks at this, he's like, "You're crazy. You're going to wear out both yourself and these people." He's like, "What you're doing isn't not just it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts the people you're trying to help too. You can't possibly be a good judge for all of these people. You're too exhausted. You're one man, you can't do it." Everybody loves to hear criticism from their in-laws, don't they? That's what he's hearing. Like, you know how hard it is to hear? It's hard as an adult to hear criticism from your parents. It's harder to hear criticism from your in-laws, isn't it? Right? You already got, got that like, eh, I don't know. You know, for, for women, I've heard this story over and over again on both sides of, of, of the situation, right? Um, a, a wife has her mother-in-law come and visits. And the mother-in-law looks around and says, oh, I'm going to help clean the house because they don't have enough time to clean the house. So I'm going to clean the house. Right? So the mother-in-law is trying to be helpful. Meanwhile, the wife is over here, like she's cleaning the house and thinks I can't take care of things. It's not good enough, right? Tension. All sorts of tension. Uh, with with men. Um, the the dad, the, the husband is uh, you know, around the kids, kids are acting crazy or poorly and then so the father-in-law being helpful says well you know what i did when uh, my kids were acting up is this is how we discipline them right <laughs> so the, the the husband's like oh so i'm a terrible father right or or like that's a terrible idea but he can't say that because his father-in-law it's hard it's tension dealing with in-laws is uh sometimes difficult it's sometimes difficult Verse 19, It doesn't stop there because then Jethro gives him some advice. Unsolicited advice. Who loves unsolicited advice? Verse 19, now listen to me. I will give you some advice. (sighs) Okay. And God will be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to Him. Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But, you should select from all the people able men, God fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case. So, by judge, they're like not exactly like a law judge, but like a leader to help people figure out their lives and disputes. They should lead, judge the people at all times. They can bring you in every major case but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure and also all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Um, that's, uh, that's, That's good but hard advice, isn't it? For Moses to do this, he now has to train several people. It takes time to train people. It's easier for me to do it myself right now. It takes time to train others. It's easier for me to do it myself right now. I'm not going to do it. Um, I remember a number of years ago, I was serving under a pastor. who he was, he was a lone wolf pastor. He was the solo pastor. He had all the power. He had all the control. There were no elder teams. There were no deacon teams. There were no trustee teams. It was like he, he had some teams, but they were there to support his decisions, right? Uh, that, 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 that's the kind of dynamic it was. And there was a number of older men in the church who saw that and lovingly came in and quoted this text to him. Like this was the text. They texted wise Jethro's words to him for a period of two years. They said, this isn't good for you. This isn't good for the congregation. It's not going to end well. We want You need to appoint others. You need to, to distribute some of the power and some of your control so that this church can flourish for two years. And he didn't listen. He not only didn't listen, he chased them out of the church and eventually the church exploded. Um, Because it wasn't good for him, it wasn't good for the people. But it's not just pastors who have this problem. It's not just leaders like Moses. Who else has this problem? Parents have this problem. I'm going through this right now, right? Where you're, you're over here going like, oh, I've got I've to do all the things. I have to do all the things, right? I, I, I've got to do all the chores. I've got to do all this. I've got to do all that, right? And it's like, wait a minute. There's a point where it's like, wait, I, I have children who can do some of these things. Right? right? And it's a lot easier for me to do it than for me to teach them how to do it because they're going to do it poorly and wrong. Several times things are going to get broken, tears will be shed. However, it's going to destroy me because I'm getting like family's growing now. (laughs) And it's not good for me and it's not good for them because when dad's overwhelmed, how does that relationship work out with the kids? Right? Anyone ever have an overwhelmed dad before? Things go well with him? No. So in our, our lives as parents, we have to. Share and work with other people. We, in our lives as, as workers, as employees, we can't do everything on our own. There are times we have to ask for help. I don't know how to do this. I can't do all of this. We have to ask help from other people. Um, and also Grand Traverse County. Do you know uh, Grand Traverse County is one of the least churched counties in America? We live in one of the most least churches church count and and we don't have a huge population compared to other counties right we're not like la county or something we're one of the least church areas in the country um but what's interesting with that is i go and i talk to people and almost everyone i meet is a christian up here like everyone's a christian oh cool where do you go to church oh, i don't you know i don't we haven't gone to church in a while we, we don't you know we don't need that i don't need church it's just me and god it's just me and God. Why does God put us in situations where we need to rely on other people? What does Moses do here? Honestly? Honestly? I think if all things being equal, Moses probably would have answered the same way that that lone wolf pastor answered. I think he would have listened to his father-in-law. Well, that's nice advice. Maybe we'll, we'll put that on the calendar to explore sometime in the future. Right? <laughs> like, I, th- I think that's what would have happened. Because it's too overwhelming. I think he would have just been like the parent who says, I have to do everything myself. I don't have time to train other people to do it. And I don't want my kids or my spouse to do it wrong. I, I, I think he is like so many people in Grand Traverse County who say, I can do Christianity on my own. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't need the church that Christ shed His blood for. I, I don't need it at all. I can do it on my own. I think he would have done all of that if it wasn't for the battle at Amalek. As he had that battle with Amalek, while his father in law Jethro is telling him here, he can remember he's holding up this staff and his, his glorious victory happening below him, right? And he drops it, and then all of a sudden, to his horror, he sees his friends and family members get slaughtered by Amalek. So he throws it back up. God, what are you doing? God, give us victory, and he gives them victory he goes, okay, maybe I didn't pray right the first time. He drops it again. More people die. Oh, i got to keep this up. i got to keep this up. Why does he have to keep it up? He goes, I don't know. And he says, he says in his heart, he resolves, I will never drop this staff again until we win. I won't because then we'll die. So he holds it up until the lactic acid builds in his muscles, builds in his bones. He can't drop it. He can't drop it. He knows if he drops it that his friends and family members will die. And so he's holding up arms, shaking cries out to the God of the heavens and says, God, please give me the strength to hold up this staff. But instead of giving him supernatural power, what does he do? He sends him Aaron and her. Two men grab a seat for him, sit down, and they hold up the ends of his staff until the battle is over. Why does God force us to rely on other believers? Why does He put us into situations where He forces us to rely on other believers? He does that because He wants us to understand he needs us to understand that we cannot fulfill His purpose in life without our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's why Moses had to keep it up. It wasn't like an antenna thing where it's like, oh, the reception's bad here. God's not picking you up right now. That's why you had to keep No, it was because God was teaching him for this moment right here. And Moses listens. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Which, I mean, that's a miracle in the Bible right there, right? Like sometimes there's like lesser miracles that we don't look at. This is a huge He listened to his father-in-law. He listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all of Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. God forces us into situations where we have to rely on brothers and sisters in Christ so that we will understand that we must rely on our brothers and sisters. We must rely on other believers to fulfill God's purposes. We can't go it alone. There is no such thing as a lone wolf Christianity. It doesn't work, that's not part of God's plan. King Jesus established the church, the body of believers, everyone who believes in Christ Jesus. We together are the ones who fulfill God's purposes on the earth. Not me alone. Us together. And so verse 27, Moses let his father-in-law go and he journeyed to his own land. A number of years ago, uh, when I was back in New York and I was a youth leader and I was in like really good shape <laughs> I remember we were playing Ultimate Frisbee in the gym at our church. And I don't know, there's was like 30, 40 kids. And at one point I said, I bet you I could beat all of you by myself. And they're like, well, who's on your team? And I'm like, I don't need a team. And they're like, you can't possibly play Ultimate Frisbee by yourself. And I'm like, watch me. And they're like, okay, fine. And I, we made some sort of, you know, bet or something. I don't know what it was. But so what I would figured out is I started off, we were going to play a quick game to three. And so I could throw the Frisbee at an angle, right? And if you throw it at an angle, it looks like it's going over there, but then it would like swoop up, it would go, and then it would come back. So I would throw it, and then I'd run, catch it, right, and then I'd throw it, and I'd run because I had really good cardio back then. And then, you know, I'd run past all the kids, and they'd they'd go running down thinking it was going that way, but then it would come back, and I'd get like ten feet ahead, and uh, and I won three to zero. It was fantastic. It was me. I I won ultimate frisbee. Now they said we want a rematch. We want a rematch. Do you think I won the second game? no they figured out what's going on they're like wait a minute it comes back stick on him yeah okay <laughs> and i would not a- absolutely ever be able to do that today and that was over 20 years ago uh, <laughs> never be able to do that again but i think sometimes many of us think because i had a- an accomplishment all by myself with god because there are these mean god moments that that's the rest of our lives. And that's, that is the exception, not the rule. In general, whenever we have these amazing accomplishments, it is never just me and God. It is we and God. It is us and God. We need each other. We need to rely on each other. We sang that song about we are the body. That comes from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says we are the body of Christ. We need each other. We need to rely on each other. And God will put us in these situations that are just brutal Brutal, like the battle at Amalek. To get us to the point to say, I can't do this on my own. God, please help me. He says, I will help you. Go to your brothers and sisters and ask them for help. Okay. Okay, I will. Every, well, there's an, it's an African proverb, maybe. We're not sure who it is. Throw up this proverb here, Drayton, uh, onto the, screen here. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think that's what we're learning here with Moses' story today. If you want to go far, we have to go together, right? You can do stuff by yourself real quick, but man, if you you get a team together, most important things in life are done in teams, right? Are done with groups, families, right? Done with a team, done with a group. Uh, you need each other. Um, you can't be like, and you can't be like, I'm a single dad. Okay, show me your baby. Oh, I don't have a baby either. Got to have a group, right? <laughs> you got you to gotta have more than one person to have a family. Uh, you, you, I'm not a single dad. There's my, my, my wife, uh, my children's mom. I call her mom all the time because, you know, talking to the children. Um, but uh, you, you, you need to have more than one to have a family. You can't just be a, you know, like, oh, I'm my family and my kids, I don't have kids, but, but I'm a family. All the most important things in life are done in groups, are done in teams. Like think about your favorite movies. That was not shot with a single person. There's more than one actor or actress. And even if there was, like they have a camera person and there's an editor and this thing gets edited together, right? Like all the best things, all the most glorious things in life, music and musicians, the best musicians, the best musical groups, they don't do it by themselves. They work with a team. They work with a team. Most of our sports and most of our most interesting sports work with a team. You have to have a team in basketball. You have to have a team in hockey. You have to have a team in baseball. You have to have a team in football. If you don't have a team, right? you can't do ultimate Frisbee solo in in football. You will die. It'd be interesting for us to watch, but you'll die. Next time you have to go for surgery, don't sign up for a solo surgery where it's just you and, and the guy doing surgery. There's no such thing as solo surgery. In fact, that's an ethical violation. You can't do surgery by yourself. The most important things in life happen in a group. They happen in community. They happen in teams. And yet somehow in our minds, we think, oh, the body of Christ? We all need each other together? No thanks. Me and Jesus. Me and God. I can do it by myself. If me and God are there, we can do it. No. That's not true in the natural world. It is certainly not true in the supernatural world. We need each other. And God will put us in horrendously difficult situations to teach us that you and I cannot fulfill God's purposes apart from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why does God force us into situations that we have to rely on other believers? He does it so that you will understand that you cannot fulfill God's purpose without God's people. Following Jesus is a team sport. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. We're products of our society. We are products of two years of being forced into isolation. It is uh, very easy, very simple for us to just try and do everything on our own. I pray pray that us as a church, that we will uh, crawl out of this COVID isolation as men and women who realize we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we can, we should, and it's good to work together and to rely on each other to fulfill your purposes. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. Help us to love each other. Help us to rely on each other. Help us to work together. Help us to see each other's strengths and weaknesses and go together as a team in order to proclaim your name throughout Grand Traverse County and the world. Father, help us to follow Jesus more clearly. Help us to do it together. We ask this and so much more as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. That, Lord, You'll quiet our hearts. You'll quiet our minds. Help us to realize that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for us as individuals. But when He did that, He also created The local church and the universal church and the church that you say is your body visible presence here on earth help us to reflect jesus well today and tomorrow and all the days of our life as a congregation it's in jesus name that we pray